going to, you know, be right back into the book of Judges, chapter 20. <clears throat> and just as a recap, because Lord willing, uh, we'll try to finish up Judges today. But I hope uh, people took, uh, you know, took the time to actually read through chapters 20 and 21. But as I was saying, uh, one thing to realize, as I said on this, even though it's amazing some commentaries don't agree, but that uh, Judges 17 through 21 all occur shortly after the passing of Joshua and the elders with him. Because we know from uh, Judges chapter 20 and 28, real quick, that Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron. So this was Aaron, right? Moses' brother, <laughs> grandson. Right? Stood before it, you know, the stood before the Lord, right? Stood in the, you know, before the before the temple, before the ark, right? You know, as high priest in those days, asking if they should go again to battle against the children of Benjamin. And something else we also know, uh, if you go to Judges, uh, in the beginning of chapter 20, we're given one other obvious ways to tell us that uh, the chapters are all connected. For if you recall, Ch Judges chapter 18, right, members of the tribe of Dan went from their own inheritance, went to the other side of the promised land, conquered a city named Laish, right, and renamed it Dan. So that's when Dan came on the scene. Dan was created then. Well, we know in chapter 20, you know, in 19, when the Levite put up the call of all the tribes about this atrocious act that was done in the, you know, rape and murder of his wife, right? Well, let's start reading in chapter 20. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man, so together, united, from Dan even till Beersheba. <laughs> well... <laughs> Since Dan existed, we know this happened after the creation of Dan. And since Phineas was high priest for the Lord, we know that was generation immediately following Joshua's. Right? Because Joshua had been the contemporary of Eleazar, his father, right? and then Phineas. So the next generation. Now Phineas was up. Phineas was no doubt, you know, an, an older man, but the, the fact is just how, how quickly this transpired. We just know that this was all happening a generation before and before the first judge was ever raised up. And, you know, and then another thing that we saw, if you remember from last week, we talked about in Judges chapter 5, verse 8, we sing in Deborah is, you know, transporting and, you know, praising the Lord. And she talks about his works, but also some mourning to be done, but how Israel lost 40,000 men. Well, we know from the battle we read in Judges 20 that 40,000 of the tribe of Israel fell before Benjamin. So, just saying that to see that it is, there is not a doubt in my mind from Scripture interpreting Scripture 
that this happened, all 17 through 21, you know, sending us, of course, a generation right after Joshua, and, and before he raised up the first judge. And it, it's just obvious from the things I mentioned. And, and there's more, too. There's more things that intimate toward it, but just direct, clear teaching of Scripture, which just says, right, we're all responsible, especially if we're going to teach others or write it down. We should just do our due diligence to see if what we're writing is correct, right? Not that we never make mistakes. Those are some pretty glaring, glaring oversights on certain people's behalf, how they, how they couldn't see that sometimes against me. But anyway, going on in... Uh, Judges 20, well, what we see here, what we see here, I just got to reiterate this, is the judge is sitting, the Lord is setting the stage, is showing us how they had gone in, you know, how they had gone from the time of just the people, you know, coming with the Lord, and the Lord doing all these mighty things with them, and, you know, with, you know, with the counsel of Joshua and Eliezer, the high priest, how they really, how they, for the most part, followed God. And how in one generation, they had gotten to this point. You know, not only in chapter 17, we saw, you know, the first, well, it wasn't the only one, but we, we, we saw the establishment of false religion, right? But it wasn't completely false. They had just mixed in parts of the true worship of Yahweh along with, false worship that they created in their own minds. They probably got it from, you know, the, the land of Canaan, which, if you remember when we started off with the show, because they hadn't wiped them out, and they intermarried, and they took on them and started practicing some of their ways. So at, at the start, they started mixing in. They didn't see a problem with that. But we saw in 18, and the, the tribe of, members of the tribe of Dan come up, and seeing the gross abomination, they weren't moved by it at all. As a matter of fact, they decided to steal it, and then set up and make a temple and set it up in their own city they named after their father. So we see all this, you know, gross apostasy happening, you know, this idolatry happening, and they didn't think anything of it. And that leads, leads us into 19 through 21. We saw the social order breakdown, how they had, you know, they were just, as, as, we, as we said, starting in uh, Judges 17, 6, right, there was no king, Meaning, right, there was no judge. There was no king. They had already forsaken their one true king, right? But there was, you know, there was no one in Israel. Joshua, the recognized leader, leadership had passed away, and they were just doing what was right in their own eyes. But in, you know, Judges 17, we have that set up right there, right? In verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I want you to keep that in mind as we're talking about when I'm going to be talking about what transpired in Judges 20 and 21. You need to keep in mind when we're talking about this, they let us know a good, good way to interpret it. We need to keep in mind the ending of the book, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's like the Lord letting us know when we interpret this right, we have to we should look at it that way, that for the most part, what they were doing, even throughout this whole thing, which was right in their own eyes. They were, they were following the Lord partly, and they were just walking in their own ways, partly. And it just, it just created chaos. But where we finished off in Judges 20 last week 
was right down at, uh, we, we stopped in verse 21, and that was the second day of fighting between the Israelites and the Benjamites. Because, uh, wait, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 25, the second day of fighting, 18,000 men died. 22,000 the first day, 18,000 the second day. So 40,000 men of Israel fell by the Benjamites. And one other thing I want to go to this, if you remember how decrepit it was in this time, the people were gathered together for a good cause, Israelites, right? That was gross, gross sin that was committed by the sons of Belial under this, you know, Levite and his wife, you know, that they had, you know, sexually assaulted her to the point of death. And, you know, in the beginning they had also wanted commit homosexual acts, which is a grave sin. And so it rightly stirred up the people. And that, they were right. But if you read through that, well, at the same time, right, they go to the Benjamites, and they ask them just to turn over the sons of Belial. Knowing that the rest of Israel is united against this thing. And they refused to. And instead they decided to go to war against their brethren, Though they're all numbered 15 to 1. Talk about arrogance, right? But that they would protect these men, these men who had so grossly, grossly, wickedly violated, you know, the law of God. But hence, hence there, there we are. And so they had start, they were in the second day of battle, the end of the second day, and they had lost 40,000 men. And we need to remember this, that even though they inquired of the Lord. If you look in verse 18, right? And the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. You know, that's nothing about, and I will deliver them, or nothing we read in many places in Scripture, just Judah shall go up first. And if you read through there, Judah did go up first, right? 22,000 of them fell. So, and then, the, and then the second day, go down to verse 23. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. You know, it's interesting how quickly they did. The first time, they just said, Who shall go up? Being so convinced of what of their, that they were going to go to war against Benjamin and what they were going to do was right, the Lord just answered, and Judah shall go up. Then the second time, now kind of a confusion. Hmm, we got, you know, we, we got slaughtered that day. Shall we go up, Lord? And the Lord just answers them, go up against him. Go up against Benjamin, right? And they did, and again, you know, they got beaten down to the ground, and 18,000 of them fell. Now verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came into the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord. And fasted that day until evening, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So also now they're recognizing their own sin. They're recognizing that instead of being all proud and figuring their cause was so right, if I figured they were, they were being moved to realize there was something amiss. Because now they were doing what was proper. You know, they're weeping for that, but also weeping for themselves too. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And verse 27, And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, 
for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? That was the correct way to approach the Lord. Right? Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. All right, then a promise from God, right? Go up tomorrow, and I'll deliver them into thine hand. So now they, had, now they truly had assurance. You know, they should have done that in the beginning, but we're just showing right there, they're just doing what's right in their own eyes. They were following the law in some respects, and grossly not in others. And we'll read through there. They go up there, and they did. They, they did defeat Benjamin. The battle went sore against Benjamin. But uh, what I... Uh, what I want to do is just drop through 42. Because you read that, the battle's going sore against Benjamin. Benjamin realizes all is lost. You know, they're dropping in the field. And they retreat. Full retreat. Starting in verse 42. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel, the, you know, the, the tribe of Benjamin, under the way of wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And then which came out of the cities, they destroyed in the midst of them. Thus they enclosed the Benjamites round about and chased them and trolled them down with ease over against Gibeah toward the sun rising. And their fellow Benjamin, 18,000 men, all these are men of valor. And earlier it tells us 25,100, but we start to get the encapsulation of how 25,000 died, right? So 18,000 died in the initial battle. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness into the rock of Rimon, now they're, right, now they're in full retreat. You know, the battle's over in their minds. They, they, they were running. And they gleaned to them on the highways 5,000 men. So they chopped on another 5,000 of them. And pursued hard after them unto Gidom. And slew 2,000 men of them. So 2,000 more. So that all that which fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men that drew the sword. All these are men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled into the wilderness into the rock Rimon, and abode in the rock Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned again upon the children of Benjamin, and smote them with the edge of the sword, as well the men of every city, as the beast, in other words, also, right, the beast, the livestock, and all that came to hand. So everyone they ran into that were in any of the cities of the Benjamites. And they set on fire all the cities that they came to. Now, in, in my... We have to read this because we're not really given the Lord's commentary on it. You know, why this? Was this when he said, I'll give them over to your hand? He did. They won the battle. 18,000 of them fell. Then they kept chasing them. Cut down 5,000 more. Then it says, and they easily overtook them, right? They, they, they were defeated. So instead of showing any mercy... They cut down another 2,000. Then they decided to treat them actually worse than even the heathen cities they came unto. And they went and they burned all their cities down, killed their livestock, and killed the women and the older men and the women and the children in all their cities. I, in my humble opinion, consider they really went overboard. But remember, we need to keep in mind, right? Everyone did was right in their own eyes. So they were stoked up in their own flesh. They were probably upset, you know, War come upon, but they gave, they gave their, their brethren no quarter. They gave their brethren no quarter at all, and they even murdered their women and children and, and their livestock and burned all their cities to the ground. 
it's amazing that when they were conquering the land, they didn't chase out all the Canaanites, right? But they had no problem trying to reduce their own brethren to nothing. It just goes to show them that where, where it was really at, right? There was still more going in the flesh, right? I'm, maybe we can only suppose, but I suppose part of the tide of war, right? A little, you know, 40,000 men had died, but still pretty cruel to put their women and their children to death and the old men, you know, being. Yeah, there's precedent for what you're saying because there are times, you know, when you see the Lord telling you Israelites when they're running into the land to destroy everything, including the women and children. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically there was the law that God gave concerning warfare, general warfare, where they were yeah. not to destroy the women and children in those circumstances. Yeah. But they weren't to, in these others because of the words of judgment. So when I see something like this, at least I'm thinking that it was not according to the law. Yeah. And yet they did it with wrong motives. Yet at the same time, God in his sovereignty could be using that to chasten the nation yeah, at the same time. Yeah. And uh, But it, it's interesting too, and I know it's not an exact parallel, but there is a principle in scripture where you have those that are that have a good cause against those who have sinned and committed crime, but right away God does not give them victory because of sin amongst those who are on the side for good. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's Yeah, and, and we see, you know, that I'm sure, you know, that we know God's in control, and He uses people's evil for good and for His purposes all the time. But just there's a reason I think that He puts us down, right? That eighteen thousand fell in the initial battle. Then they cut down another seven thousand as they were running away, and then they, you know, and He made a point of letting us know. Then they turned, then they turned their anger, right, to the men and to the men, you know, to the old men. The women and the children. And also in scripture it shows us too that though they were told to do that to the Canaanites in the land, they were told outside the Canaanites from the law of the Lord was you go through these warfares they are coming up to the promised land, that you give them a chance to surrender. You know, and then you show them mercy if they surrender. Well, obviously Benjamin said, I mean, you're in full retreat, right? But they didn't even give them a chance. They didn't give them any quarter whatsoever. They just started slaughtering. And, you know, we know the Lord was in control, but I think that's the reason that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They did it because here we go on to chapter 21. Yeah, oh, does anyone else have any comments or anything from that? <laughs> I just make one more. I know that's a deep study, but it's just something to mention where if we're talking about these things, just have a right worldview. What you see in the 20th century and today with a lot of warfare the way it is fought, where you have scorched earth policies, dropping bombs on cities and so forth. Um, a lot of those tactics are not actually, don't line up with God's law. Yeah, amen. The way that he would want a nation. And even in World War II, if you think of the way the Nazis bombed cities, or even the Americans, the way that they bombed Dresden in Germany and so forth, mm -hmm. none of that was actually according to God's righteous law. The way you just bomb cities, bomb civilians, bomb the women and children, that's actually not something that is a biblical warfare strategy. Well, we see in our own day and age, right? I mean, this, this is so applicable. I mean, how, how much more can we say today? Wouldn't you say just looking around that people basically do what's right in their own eyes? Oh, yeah. They justify whatever they want. You know, people call them Christians that they'll try to justify whatever. 
Maybe you uh, don't pay all your taxes. You somehow justify and say, well, I'm paying the charge too much. Anyway, however you want to justify, you know, there's so many that there's, there's so many things that can be, you know, justified. What really gets me is that the more they do it, right, the more you move away from the clearly revealed will of God. You just think of the treatment of homosexuality, the so-called social justice movement, so-called uh, CRT, restoration movement, where you should take, steal other people's property to give it to other people that have never been harmed, but somehow they say that, well, our, you know, our grandfathers were just all of it's against the law of God, but people call themselves Christians will justify teaching that it should be so. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, I know many of us know that third following is coming in July. And uh, if you want a really good, just a good understanding of these kinds of things that we're seeing, you should go watch before we get to this grinding, what we call the grinding down of America. Un unbelievable how he correlates what you just said, that, you know, he, he even backs it up into the, you know, the Democrats and the black people, how they really hate him and, they, and what they've done. And they use each one of these groups literally turn away from the law of God and just do what's right in their own eyes. And uh, it, it's really stunning just that correlation that he does. So I, I would recommend everybody going and watching that. It's, uh, he does a really, really good job of these kinds of things, what you're talking about. Just, yeah. You know, how they, how they, they the, the Marxists, the communists, they'll, that's what they do. They, they just absolutely, they'll use the old, what, what's the old adage, the useful idiots. They yeah. use them and then they dispatch it. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. And a lot of things is, even if, if we're ever in a question about something that the Word of God teaches, what we do is submit to it to the best of our understanding and be honest about that. And the way I understand it, I say my best submitting to my understanding. We're not sure. Go, go talk to people you trust. Go talk to people you trust. Some things aren't always so clear. But in actuality, the things that are important, that really matter, are all very clear. They're all very clear. And it's just amazing. But in chapter 21, it, it, here's what we'll see. Do it right in their own eyes, right? Irregardless of the law of God. <laughs> now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, There should not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin to wife. So they had made an oath, right? That uh, whatever happens, you know, with Benjamin and that, we're not going to let our daughters intermarry with them. Which is, again, they were treating the Benjamites exactly like the Canaanites, like heathens, like pagans, which was not according to the law of God. These still were brethren, even though, yeah, what they did was error, and in protecting the criminals was error. But, okay, so since they had given this oath, verse 2, And the people came to the house of God, and abode there till evening before God, and lifted their voices, and wept sore, and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? I like that because they realize in the one sense, yeah, it, it was of the Lord to use that, but you know, I wonder if they're still telling the Lord that the Lord, you know, you know, pushing down to just kill practically every single Benjamite. And also it's like, well, the Lord didn't tell him not to, not to let him intermarry. That wasn't anywhere in the law of God. But they had made an oath, right? So pride. Right? We're not going to break our oath. We made this oath. 
And it doesn't say about, you know, any counsel they received of the Lord. Where that, that just blank. So I'm wondering because I don't think they did. They just decided they, they did. They, you know, they left sore and, you know, they asked that, but they were just goes, why should it be to one day lack in Israel? So verse four, and it came to pass on the morrow, so the very next day, that the people rose early and built their an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not up with the congregation unto the Lord? So in other words, is there any tribe, you know, is there any place that did not send up representatives, you know, when they came up to confront Benjamin? For they had made a great oath, and here they had made another oath, concerning him that came not up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel repented them for Benjamin their brother and said, There is one tribe cut off from Israel this day. Of course, they also did it right because they slaughtered all of them. They slaughtered the last 7,000 of them, plus all their children, so now they don't even have children to, you know, to grow up. How shall we do for wives for them to remain, seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them of our daughters to wives? So, it might have been right. Well, why not just repent of that oath? Because that had nothing to do with the law of God. They just gave a rash oath. They just gave rash oaths. Of course, that's where we're told when we give an oath, and that right, we, sh we should think about really careful. You know, that we should speak rashly. But they could have repented of that oath. There would have been nothing wrong with finding wives for their remaining brethren. They are in the mode of repentance, but not all the way. And the children of Israel, oh yeah, verse 7, How shall we do for wives from them remain, seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters to wives? Again, where is, where is the going back for counsel on this, right? It, these were brethren. There's no reason not to have them intermarry with other daughters of the other tribes. And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that came out of the Mizpah to the Lord? And behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For the people were numbered, so they obviously took a count or whatever before the battle began or afterwards. And behold, there were none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead there. So, you know, looking at saying they, they probably should have sent somebody up, but they didn't. You know, there, there was no one from this area here. And the congregation sent thither 12,000 men of the valiantest, so, you know, they're some of their best warriors, and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword. So now that they're mourning over the tribe of Benjamin, right? Well, let's go kill more of our brethren. With the women and the children. So again, according to the rules, how to treat the Canaanites. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman that hath lain by man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins that had not known knowing no man by lying with any male. And they brought them out of the camp to Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. And the whole, so they, they, right, they, they, put the, they put the men and the, the married women and whatever all to death. And, oh, there's 400 that we conclude that are virgins and we're going we're gonna to take them and give them a Benjamin. So they wait getting around their old because, well, wait, it, it, was, it was wrong to have them intermarry. Well, I guess it's all right if we go ahead and kill you know, their fathers and maybe their would-be suitors and that, we'll just kidnap and take them and give them to the Benjamites. I guess that was okay. Uh, 
And the whole congregation sent some to speak, verse 13, and the whole congregation sent some to speak to the children of Benjamin that were in the rock Rimon, and to call peaceably unto them. And Benjamin came again at that time, and they gave them wives which they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet so they sufficed them not. In other words, because there were 600 here in the rocks, and they had 400, so there were still 200, you know, without a wife. And the people repented them for Benjamin, because that the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, How shall we do for wives for them that remain, seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? Yeah, and who destroyed them? <clears throat> and they said, There must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit we may not give them wives of our daughters, again, by what justification? They had made an oath. Right? They, they could have just repented of that. But for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that giveth the wife to Benjamin. Okay, right? According to the law of God, these are Benjamites. They can marry between their own tribes. Nothing wrong about that. Then they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh, yearly in a place which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south of Labona. Therefore they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie and wait in the vineyards. So right, they're going to have this you know, yearly feast under the Lord, the celebration, and, and they're saying, No, just wait. You're get, we're going to send women out there, unbeknownst to them. Each of you come out and kidnap one of them. That's going to be your wife. <laughs> Verse 21, And see, and behold, the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance and dances, then come ye out of the vineyards and catch you every man his wife of the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And it shall be when their fathers or their brethren come unto us to complain that we will send unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes, because we reserve not to each man his wife in the war. For ye did not give unto them at this time that ye should be guilty. In other words, you know, just be good unto them. They'll be taken care of, you know, I mean... You know, they, they didn't let them know what was going on. They didn't even go ask them. Hey, you know, they notice you, you have daughters, you know, you have, you have maiden daughters, you know. You like to give them to these obviously Benjamites who were all going to be wealthy because now the entire tribe had practically been wiped out. So the inheritance would be redivided among the 600 remaining people. They would be pretty well off, well off Benjamites. They, they, they went to a problem, but you know, they didn't consult fathers. They didn't go, you know, they, they didn't go and try to seek it that way. I mean, you know, you would think that they repented of it, that they could have found 600 women in all the land, in all, in, in all the tribes of Israel to be willing to marry these 600 Benjamites, but they decided not to do that. They murdered and kidnapped. And, uh, okay, verse 23, And the children of Benjamin did so, and took them wives, according to their number of them that danced, whom they caught. And they went and returned out of their inheritance, and repaired the cities, and dwelt in them. And the children of Israel departed thence at that time, every man to his tribe and to his family, and they went out from thence every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's something that, you know, that sticks out to me when you see all these, right? It all begins with, first they somehow in their minds justified idolatry. They justified mixing, you know, doing things that, God had forbidden them to do, mixing with their worship. And eventually that, that obviously led to social, you know, this social decline and this decline of morals in the land. And then when they, finally they realized, 
the secondary root of it, they were so incensed about, and it was gross sin, about gross sin that could be seen, but there's no record of anyone being incensed that Dan had already existed. It's surprising, right? No mention, no mention of the idolatry going on in the city of Dan, which is actually a greater offense because we need to remind, right, he's the one true living holy God and they had committed abomination and blasphemy before him. But they didn't do that. It was finally when it started coming out in the hearts of people and that. And then the then these people were so quick to get up and just, you know, be willing to go to war. I mean, you know, all of them so so quickly, 400,000 of them gathered. And I suppose that set off the Benjamites also, right, saying, well, we're not going to give in to your demands. We're tough. And to protect these sons of Belial, these grossly wicked people, you know, I mean, which were, you know, guilty of other things of, you know, you could, I mean, of gross, right, gross sexual conduct and gross murder, leading to murder. But they wouldn't give them over and said they wanted to go fight in their lands. And then these people would give these careless oaths, right, Finally, in some parts, went to the Lord, like we saw that in repentance, and they offered for their sins, and they said, now, Lord, should we go up? You know, and should we go up, and should we should we keep going to war against our brethren? And then finally, Lord gave them an answer, I'll give them into your hands. Like I said, he was using their evil for, for his own rights. He was judging Benjamin. He was judging all the tribes of Israel. But we also see that they did things that were totally contrary, you know, to the will of God in a lot of this. And in the very end, still, right in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we can just see that. We see it here all the time. It just, you know, when we stick, when we say when we stick to the Bible, what we mean by that is we, we submit to it. To, should I say, to the best, best of our understanding, we're never going to stray too far. And people don't do that. But the more you do what was right in your own eyes, for whatever reason, even even being ignorant, even being ignorant and choosing not not to want to get to know what the will of God is, right? well, you're still guilty. But even worse so, worse so if you know what the will of God is and you do contrary to it. But uh, I was going to say we have about five minutes left. Does anyone have any comments or questions?
among many of God's professing people. You have the unbelievers, those who are not, and amongst those who are professing God's people, oftentimes you see them doing things that are just completely against the word. And, you know, another thing I'd like to say, they said sons of Belial. Isn't interesting how many parallels? The Benjamites decided to protect the sons of Belial and go against the rest of their people. And, and according to the clear, clear will of God against it. How many leaders in churches today are telling their people to go against the known will of God and against the people of God in order to protect the sons of Belial in their own congregation? Or people saying, you know, Christians who say, you know, I'm against the death penalty. That's just wrong. That's wrong. Really? So God's wrong. That's what they're saying. They might not realize, but then God's wrong. You know, or that's cruel. Well, then God's cruel. He's not just and right. You know, people sometimes, I think they don't think through the logic of a lot of their beliefs, right? Because if, you know, if A is true, then B has to be true, and then C has to be true, right? They just don't, they, they just don't start thinking out through the end, you know, if I really believe this, what is the end of it? And, you know, to say, I mean, basically, and now to say to, you know, things have changed with no justification whatsoever for it. You know, and then when you see your own political leaders that are actually sons of Belial, sons and daughters of Belial themselves, quoting the word of God to support abortion, to support homosexuality, to support you know, this whole thing, transgender, it's a made-up word, but that, that's all part of homosexuality and perverted sexual desires and everything, right, to, to promote it. Trying to say, well, God is love. Therefore, what does that have to do with it? God was love here, too. It's the same God. You know, I mean, it's just amazing that people will just justify themselves and they'll use their own beliefs and their own feelings to say, well, this is what God must think. Irregardless of what it says here, no, he must be this way because I feel this way. And somehow comparing ourselves, creatures, with the one true living God and saying somehow we're the same. It just it is gross, but it's so 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 imperative today when we see the gross decay of society among us. And for the most part, people just bury their, their heads in the sand, like what's going on? And it's just falling apart all around us. Yeah, Dean. I think as you've ended the book of Judges, I think a good principle that at least for me I'm taking to take away is to always ask, ask myself, what am I influenced by and why do I do what yeah. I do and why do I think the way I think? And it helps me at least understand how important it is to study the Bible and have the way of thinking conform to that. Because if it's not, it's going to be the way of thinking is going to be an influence of something that's wrong. There's just no doubt about it. So the less we know the Bible and apply the Bible, the more we're going to do things that are simply wrong yep. and think yep. things that are wrong. And the way the Holy Spirit does it, we all say that the word, right? Be renewed, Romans 12, 1 and 2. First, we make the decision to live rightly before the Lord by His grace and power. And, and we do that purposefully. And we also purposefully read his word to have our minds renewed according to his will. And then we and then we become more and more and more God minded and less and less worldly minded. 
You know, as they say, right? Then we're feeding our spirit man instead of feeding our fleshly man. Well, yeah, with that, we're out of time. Uh, Keith, would you please close us in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that we can gather together to worship and glorify you. Now, we pray by your spirit that you apply your word that was preached to our hearts and minds and give us direction for the future to glorify and honor you in all things. God, we pray for our families that they be rooted and grounded in your truth. And pray for opportunities to share your gospel, your life in this world that is so dark. Pray for the rest of the services and the fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.